0: Okay, so good news. The Feisty Women's Performance Summit is back for its second year in 2022. I don't know about you, but at Feisty, we're pretty sick of the predatory BS that we've observed in the fitness industry. The quote-unquote women's market is a target for fad diets, miracle workouts, and the usual shrink-it-and-pink-it marketing bunk. So enter the Feisty Women's Performance Summit, where we're going to bring together information you can trust so you can learn, grow, and succeed by working with your female physiology, not against it. It's not about standing on a podium, although we all know that some of us will. It's about being able to do the things we love throughout our lives. This year's virtual summit will take place March 25th to 27th, and you'll get three days of education, demonstrations and inspiration from top of the class vetted professionals who will provide you with the knowledge you need to reach your goals. And if you can't make the summit on the weekend, the replays will be available for you all year long. So head on over to womensperformance.com to get all the deets. That's womensperformance.com. The link will be in the show notes.
1: So Lisa, I have been in over my head with so many uh, clients (laughs) around that, uh, yeah, I have not kept up with Winter Olympics the way I should have, um, especially in comparison to how much we dissected Summer Olympics. So right. shame on me for not keeping up with that. And literally the only thing that I've done that's been sports related, whether it's internationally or nationally, was watching the halftime show. And even, I didn't even watch that live, right? I I waited till the next morning and watched it because it was already on YouTube. And that's it. I've been really pitiful with keeping up with sport. How about you?
2: Well, I did not watch the Super Bowl, nor did I watch the Super Bowl halftime show um, live or afterwards. So, but I have been intermittently watching the Winter Olympics and random stuff like Skeleton and um, other stuff. I don't know, biathlon, the shooting one, the shooting and the skiing one. And then ice yes. sk- I've been watching a lot of ice skating. So, I have some thoughts around that. I also have some thoughts around the NFL. <laughs>
1: Oh, well, there's been some drama with the ice skating and there there's been how many years, 30 years of drama uh, with the NFL. So let's talk about that. I'm Dr. Shauna Payne-Gold and I go by she, her, her pronouns. And I'm Dr. Lisa Ingefield, and I go by she, her, hers. Welcome to Unfazed, a podcast to disrupt your normal and challenge your brain to go the distance. So, Lisa, what has been going on? Because all I know is I woke up one morning and saw a very irate tweet from Miss Shakari Richardson uh, to the IOC concerning what she viewed as unfair. And I'm like, what in the world is going on here? Which agencies are we working with now? Who did what? you know, what in the yep. world is going on? Because Miss Shikari just kind of came back out of the woodwork again. And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, who's ticked her off now? What's going on? Is it legit? And which which side do I want to stand on with this? Whatever's going on. So what's happening with, with the ice skating situation?
2: Oh, well, I think it's legit. Um, and so there's a 15-year-old Russian ice skater. Her name's um, Camilla um, Valieva. And she tested positive for a performance enhancing drug back in December um a drug that actually is designed to or used almost universally for um extending your endurance in in Mm -hmm. sport and yet Mm -hmm. she was allowed to compete in the Olympics and so she appealed um to the court of arbitration for sport and they said because she was a minor that she could compete so this of course created significant um problems a lot of athletes uh, were frustrated by that that she got to complete i believe she was the world champion or was very very um skilled and so the whole right, question right. was, was she going to win, right? Was she going to win gold or was she going to get on the podium? And then what would that do knowing that she had this positive drug test? And I guess there is, um, it's fairly convoluted this story, but it sounds like the drug test happened in December. And then the Russian version of the U S uh, anti-doping agency suppressed it. I would guess purposefully, but I don't mm-hmm. know that. And, mm-hmm. and it mm-hmm. released that the positive test had, um, happened until after she'd already competed in at least one event at the Winter Olympics. And so then and that's why I went to the Court of Arbitration. Um thought yeah. to say whether she could continue in the games. And so Shikari Richardson is saying, how is this different from my situation? I was smoking marijuana my mother had just died, it's not a performance enhancing drug, and I missed the Olympics. And so it feels like a pretty double standard. And the only difference that she could see is that Shikari Richardson is an African American woman and um, Valieva is a white woman.
1: Right, right.
2: Yes, because she's 15.
1: Well, and now that's interesting because me knowing very little about both situations, I feel like, you know, yes, we're dealing with two different committees, two different agencies, but it seems like the American agency rushed to get the results back. Whereas with Valieva, it was, oh, let's just sweep this under the rug until we kind of have to share the results and then let things fall out where they may. And ironically, based on what I saw, she didn't do so well anyway, had multiple falls. And so I don't know if that's just karma coming back around, but it just seems very interesting that, you know, is there some level of corruption in both directions where you have, you know, let's rush to get the results out to keep someone from participating, or let's hide the results for as long as possible to allow someone to compete both of them are corrupt in just different directions, but it both sounds corrupt to me.
2: Yeah, I would agree. I mean, we probably should do our due diligence and dig a little little deeper, but certainly yeah. I think to say that they're not comparable is right. a bit disingenuous. Yes, Shakari Richardson right. was given the month's suspension by the US uh, Anti-Doping Authority, not the Russian one and not by the IOC, Um but Mm -hmm. you still have a situation where an athlete was prevented from competing and was likely to race and and be placed in the top three. Right. And then you have, she's African-American and then you have a white athlete who doesn't have those same standards. And it's predicated on the fact, well, it was Russia, not the USA and she's 15. Mm -hmm. So different rules apply. And I'm like, well, are those rules written down? Because it caused a lot of trouble and, um, The Russian team, I guess the Russian um, Olympic team that skates won gold, like in the team event, and the U.S. came second or third, I don't know where, but none of the teams are getting their medals until this issue with Valieva has been resolved. And so the U.S. team actually appealed that to the court of arbitration for sport to say, can they have their medals now? And they said no. Um, yeah. And this could yeah. take months, maybe even years to figure out, because it could be that in further exploration, right, that the IOC just essentially wipes the Russian team from any medals, uh, right. in which case right. then the U.S. would get silver or bronze. So, right. Um, right, yeah, I think you're right. I think corruption is there. The motivation for said corruption is different, right? And um, Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It feels just very suspicious. And then the other piece that's interesting is there's been a lot of conversation around the fact that she is 15. She is a minor, um, kind of the reputation of Russian coaches or the Russian kind of sport machine and how they um, chew up and spit out young athletes. And when Valieva came off of her final skate, um, where she had all those falls, right? Which maybe was or was not karma, right? Because obviously right, she was through a lot right. of stress, and as a 15-year-old right. probably doesn't have the capacity to process that effectively. So she didn't do very Absolutely. well. Absolutely. The first couple of things that the coach said were berating her for such a poor performance. Like, why did you give up? Because there was a commentator who was translating the Russian as right, it was right. happening. So then, you know, she bursts mm-hmm. into tears, and then yeah. teammates are in tears and um just awful, awful. And I guess it prompted the IOC president to actually come out and say that it was pretty despicable how the coach treated her. The IOC president doesn't usually do that because he's so apolitical, but, um, right, right Right. there. Uh, so, Mm -hmm.
1: you know,
2: this whole, so coaching abuse potentially, you know, on top of it.
1: (laughs) Oh yes, absolutely. Coaching abuse, especially at that age. And it, it really reminds me of countries that have very young athletes that are in sport as well as countries that, you know, they start training their athletes at tiny, tiny. I mean, a lot of countries start training their athletes at age three, four or five to get to the Olympics, knowing that whatever cash awards may be fed right back into their country. And so, you know, this kind of makes us think about comparative wealth here. You know, if a U.S. citizen received a monetary award, it pretty much is theirs to use as they want to. And it may or may not be life-changing, you know, just depending on how much it is. But in other countries, you know, $5,000 could be, you know, the, the town's livelihood for a year, you know. And so, you know, given that There's much different pressure based on what country you're coming from, based on how much your country has invested in you and how much they expect in return from you as a result of being on the podium or not. So, yeah, that that makes me kind of nervous. And the first thing I thought about is as I because I did see the the photos of the coach berating um, the athlete. I'm thinking to myself that feels very like 1980s gymnastics-ish to me because we saw a lot of that back then when I was growing up where we saw a lot and it was normal. It was very normal. Not that many people, you know, called it out as something that was inappropriate, especially for athletes that are usually younger, usually gymnasts are, are pretty young, um, no one really called it out like that. And so now it's, we're in a different context and a different environment, and they're not going to tolerate that. Um, right. Especially after the many scandals that have happened against young athletes across sports, they're not going to tolerate that foolishness at all.
2: Well, I mean, I hope you're right. I, you know, there's been talk of extending the age or rather hiring the age. So right now, I think it's, you can be in the Olympics at 15, 14, or 15. And so there is a pretty strong argument, I think, for saying that you shouldn't be able to compete in the Olympics until you're 18. Would that Mm. mean that kids um, are then not beginning that intensive training at three or four years old? I don't know, but it would um, prevent that level of pressure, perhaps on the world stage at least, hitting a teenager who's not fully developed and has no capacity to resist.
1: Yeah. And see, that's going to be very interesting for those sports that thrive off of youth, you know, because a lot of, uh, especially when it comes to gymnastics and a few other sports, somewhat swimming, you know, it's almost as if you're quote unquote aging out at 18, 19, like you're treated like, you know, geriatric in the sport because you've hit that particular age. Whereas for other sports, that's pretty young. You know, 18 is pretty young. That's old for certain sports. So it's relative. So that it's going to be yeah. interesting to see how athletes and coaches advocate for their specific sport in relation to age. Right. But then it does have that trickle down effect of, you know, what's going to be tolerated or not in sport. But, mm-hmm. you know, there there are enough sports to go around that have been really affected deeply by abusive coaching, sexual abuse, sexual harassment, on and on, they would have a good case for it. They Uh would truly have a good case for it. So, well, look, let's pivot a little bit because we haven't watched enough (laughs) of um, Winter Olympics to comment on it, other than I have watched a lot of the um, environmental complaints. I have watched a lot of that, like seeing, you know, seeing these smokestacks behind, you know, the, um the yes. snowshoe. I'm like, "Oh, that's very interesting." And y'all didn't think that through, did you? Or maybe that's the only place they had to do it. I just that was very interesting to me. Um, but let's pivot a little bit because I promise you, I have not followed NFL until the announcement of who was going to be performing um at halftime. And that's when I watched a little bit of that. I didn't even watch it live. I watched it recorded the next day because we know everything. Everybody's business is on YouTube, but you know, in less than 24 hours. Um, so I watched that and I just thought it was very interesting, the responses to that. And then right on the heels of all that, here we go with a very interesting new lawsuit on an old issue on the Rooney rule, right? Uh, Are we still having this conversation? We've been having this conversation since I was a little kid um, we now have another coach, Brian Flores, who is mm-hmm. suing the NFL in three teams, um, alleging racial discrimination in hiring practices, uh, even given his very long winning resume. Um, yeah, this is this is not going anywhere. And I'm, are we going to get to a place where we realize that the Rooney rule is, uh, like you say often, Lisa, window dressing for what needs to be done next? Because right. It ain't working. It's not working. It's not working.
2: Yeah. I mean, I don't know that it's the Rooney role itself that isn't working. It is the largely affluent white ownership of teams in the NFL. Excuse me. That isn't working in my opinion. Um, I think that, um, you know, I, I wonder about that halftime show in terms of there's the critiques that have come out, right. are saying that it was um, an attempt by the NFL to address the fact that they are actually pretty good around um, race. (laughs) Like they're not discriminatory. They don't have implicit bias. Look at this halftime show. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. I have not watched it, um, but I definitely caught some headlines that were critiquing it in terms of That perspective.
1: Well, I do know now one of the stories that just, uh, kind of popped up in January and we'll see where it goes. Um, and this is out in your area, Lisa, um, that billionaire Robert Smith is considering, um, buying the Denver Broncos if they hit the open market. And so he might legitimately be the first black owner, um, in the NFL in over hundred years. Wow. Yeah. Wow. in a hundred years. And so, and, you know, obviously he could do it. His portfolio says he could do it. I think he's got a net worth of almost 7 billion. Um, I remember him from a few years ago where he did an amazing, uh, commencement speech at, I believe it was Morehouse college. Um, and he wiped out everyone's debt, um, while he was there. So everyone walked across the stage being debt-free. Oh my um, God. yeah. And so I remember him from that. And so when, I uh, heard of his name in connection to the Denver Broncos and saw his face. I was like, oh my God, that would be incredible. Um, I've only read of him in philanthropic ways. Um, So obviously he's fantastic in business, but I've only heard of him um, doing philanthropic work. Um, And so Given that, you know, once he paid off all the debt with Morehouse College, it Mm -hmm. added up to well over thirty four million dollars that he gave to those students. And so, you know, I'm just wondering that that could be kind of the the big pivot of the NFL is that, you know, he's paving the way. Hopefully he will continue to educate other, you know, other potential black and brown owners to do the same. But. You know, you're right. We're not going to see a lot of change in the hiring practices unless we see some change in the ownership as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah. it's not working. You know what what right. happens? because Lisa, we've seen this in fi- in hiring for faculty. You can have all the policies in the world that say that you need to have underrepresented people on the finalist list, but that doesn't mean that that person is going to be selected. That just means
3: right. Right. they've hit
1: compliance and we just move on. so it it ends up being, performative and it's setting up each team to be performative. And I think it yeah. backfires because it shows that, oh, you have plenty of black and Brown coaches out there that you could choose from, but you're choosing not to yeah. choose them. Right. Because right. you wouldn't even have them in the top three, four five, if they weren't out there, they're right. there. Right. And I think that's what Brian Flores is saying, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. his laundry list of experience, you know, three seasons with Miami, two winning seasons and you know, still not being hired, I think his, I think his lawsuit is legit. I'm going to keep following, but I think his lawsuit is legit. And it's not the only one that's been legit over the years. So. Yeah.
2: So the Rooney rule was developed back, um, oh gosh, I'm not going to get the decade right, but a little while ago. <laughs> and uh, Dan Rooney, I believe was an owner. And so he took it on himself to try and address this problem of a complete lack of racial diversity in the coaching staff of the NFL, and he would be what we might consider now a white ally. I mean, uh, okay. by okay. by that generation standards, so nothing as progressive right. as what we might expect now, but certainly he right. was trying to push his fellow owners to do something about it. And so I guess a number of suggestions around um, more progressive issues were uh, up for discussion and they just got shot down immediately. And so what the owners settled on was this rule that required that there must be at least one quote unquote minority person um, in the finalist group that gets interviewed for any head coaching position. So the rule got approved um, and there were a couple of civil rights lawyers that were behind this also. So Johnny Cochran mm-hmm. folks may have heard of and then another guy named mm-hmm. Cyrus Mary. And they had done a report finding extensive bias in the NFL. So despite the fact that um, teams with African-American coaches had a higher percentage of games that they had won, they were less likely to be hired and more likely to be fired. So this, that was kind of the impetus that pushed the NFL to do something about it. And so the first uh, head coach hiring after the Rooney rule, the coach did not, I'm sorry, the owner did not follow the Rooney rule and nothing really happened. Oh, um, okay. And then mm-hmm. I guess this Cyrus Mary guy called the commissioner and said, the rule is meaningless unless there's accountability. Right. right? Like you have to hold them accountable, otherwise the rule is dead. It's before it even gets out of the starting gate. So again, then <clears throat> I don't think that first uh, owner was fine, but then the next person, the next owner that didn't follow the Rooney rule was fined something like 200 or $250,000. Now remember, this was like 20, 30 years ago. So that's a significant amount of money.
1: Right. And so at that right.
2: point when owners realized, oh, there's this monetary consequence if I don't do this, they all started to fall in line and that's when you started to see the number of African-American or um, non-white head coaches, obviously still all male, um, increase. And so I think the height was about eight um, non-white male head coaches in the NFL. But then at some point in the last decade, Another owner hired someone, I think it was Gruden, actually, the guy that just recently got fired for sending all those racist emails and sex yes. such, which is yes. kind of funny, right? That it would be the yes. owner that hired him. That didn't, right. not funny, I guess, obvious. Right, it, it right. Follow the Rooney rule, and then the commissioner, Roger Goodall. I did not find him. So I don't know whether there was a different commissioner at the time that the Rooney Rule was instituted. But what I do know is that that non-fining situation basically gave license to all these other owners to just ignore the Rooney Rule, because now there's no requirement that they have to include minority candidates in their slate of candidates.
1: Right, 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 right.
2: Brian Flores, right? Um,
1: Oh, yes. Yes. Which is, yeah, then just opens the door for people to continue doing whatever they want, knowing that there's not going to be accountability. And then having, you know, the precedent of going back to say, well, wait, you didn't do anything to them. Why are you doing something to me? No, exactly. exactly. Oh, oh my gosh, incredible! Well, and you know, I'm I'm interested. I I, I cannot wait. Hopefully, we'll hear something from Roger Goodell, the the um, commissioner, because he has had kind of a journey along this process of thinking about this when it comes to a lot of different things. I mean, I remember when um, you know he was interviewed to really speak to even all of the. Uh, hoopla that happened around Colin Kaepernick and at first the silence around it and then speaking of it later saying that, you know, kind of condemned it and now saying, oh, we were wrong. You know, I'm I'm interested to see if he's moving along this trajectory of wait a minute. Maybe we knew, we do need to get more aggressive. What are we going to do? I know um, Lisa, you and I recently um, noticed that the NFL did hire some more staff that specifically focuses on um, on diversity, equity and inclusion yeah, work. Yeah. So I, I believe they either already had a chief diversity officer or they were hiring a deputy chief a deputy diversity officer. So they have staff who are supposed to know next steps around this. Let's see if they empowered them to do the work around it. Right. Um, Because that's what's going to be interesting. Robert uh, uh, Roger Goodell has uh, I'm not saying he's anywhere close to someone I would consider an ally, but I am saying that he's had progressively awakened moments um, when it comes to Mm -hmm. Black Lives Matter moments, et cetera. Uh, I, I want to sit back with the popcorn and see what happens next in regards to this, knowing that he's on that journey. Right. Um, because why why have diversity officers in on your staff if you're not going to allow them to do anything and they are now performative? You will get called out on that yeah. by m- maybe not by current players, but certainly by retired players and those that no longer um, have to play beholden to the NFL or their specific team. They're going to speak on it. Hall of Famers will yeah, speak on fair. it. A lot of folks will be free to speak on it for sure.
2: I think I feel like you are being very gracious in your <laughs> belief that Roger Goodell is on a journey and he's actually had some awakening moments. I'm like, it's all about money.
1: <laughs> it still is, absolutely. <laughs> I, feel I mean, like, you know, I
2: feel like it's completely disingenuous. He's doing it because his hand is being forced. <laughs>
1: Well, you know, I agree. And and that's where I, I don't think our points are incompatible. I think that he has had ongoing awakening moments, but that doesn't mean that those awakenings are going to overshadow money. They, they won't. right? Not as commissioner, they won't. Now, maybe one day, if and when he retires and he's no longer commissioner, maybe he may say some things that he wouldn't say as a commissioner, but... Mm-hmm you know e- even for me i feel very similarly to you that money is going to speak more loudly than equity will ever speak when it comes to that league flat out and yeah. so you know i'm i'm not keeping the bar high i'm just saying that i've seen some progress definitely not an ally but some progress let me just leave it right there so yeah yeah, yeah i agree with you
2: although i mean wasn't it what what was that um rule that was in the NFL until very recently, they were still using it to determine was it opening pay like the assumption that uh non-white players were genetically less intelligent and that was still oh yes 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 being used, right
1: yep exactly yeah it sure was yep and that only recently went away so yeah I, you're right,
2: right. Yeah. So this is one of the many reasons why I no longer follow the NFL and I gave up my season tickets to the Denver Broncos.
1: Well, and I'm with you on, you know, that is one of the things I thought was very interesting about about the Super Bowl, of course, is that, oh, interesting. A lot of my people who have been boycotting the NFL for years now came out of the woodwork to watch the halftime show. And I'm like, i'm trying not to be judgmental but let me be quiet i'm just gonna stay right here so yeah that's good that that to me was very interesting because it was kind of like that is a catch-22 right because you don't you may not support the nfl overall but once you finally see artists that you do support and they are being highlighted by the nfl even if it's for their selfish reasons because remember halftime uh Halftime artists don't get paid. Let let's remember that. Um, so, given that mm, you're trying to be supportive of your favorite artists, knowing that you're really not cool with the NFL, eh. mm. at the same time, that's messy.
2: Okay, so I didn't know that they don't get paid.
1: They don't get paid, girl. They don't get paid. Why? Yes. What? And know, and when tons. Well, the first when now when I first heard it, I had my conspiracy theory thinking. Oh, my God. Do you mean to tell me you have a whole roster of black artists that you're not paying this time? No, they don't. They don't pay halftime performers.
2: No one does. So. Mm
1: -mm. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Yep. So I was like, what? Are you serious? And so Dr. Dre, from what I read, put in seven million for the performance to be exactly what he wanted it to be.
2: Well, I guess that's what you do when you have all that money, right? I don't oh need gosh. to get paid. Plus, I'm going to give you money <laughs> to make it perfect.
1: <laughs> uh, yes, I, I want my art to be perfect. How about that? So, yeah. So uh, in Forbes magazine, it was mentioned, quote, unquote, we do not pay the artist. We cover expenses and, pr- and production costs, but we don't pay the artists themselves. I'm like, holy oh, wow. moly. Incredible. Really Right, right. So I'm like, okay, this is interesting. Mm. So yeah, yeah, not paid.
2: Last year's halftime show was um, Jennifer Lopez and
1: uh, Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm. oh, why is her name blanking? Other Latin American artist.
1: Oh, let me look it up. Let me look it up.
2: And they were like unapologetically um, Uh expressing kind of uh, their. Latin heritage, right? And then a whole, yes. I think we talked about this even, there were a whole host of responses like, wasn't appropriate, my children were watching, right? Like it was really- um, Exactly. valuing both women, but in particular, uh, Latina mm-hmm. women um, right. and their bodies and the that, you know, sexuality and that that's a negative thing. Um, so so the NFL has gone two, two years in a row, it would look like, with- uh yeah artists of color um of it. so they're obviously trying to make up for lost time
1: <laughs> oh well and and you know let's be very clear you're you're dealing with halftime performance I mean a, a lot of people that follow me know that I'm a big fan of Snoop Dogg I am I know he has a questionable background but that is my guilty pleasure I love his music I love uh hit how he rebrands himself and his commentary I mean he is hilarious to me um and let me also be clear that if you want to go the completely negative route, you have to acknowledge his gang involvement in the past. And how I remember being as, uh, as a kid, you know, kind of being shunned like, no, you do not need to listen to this music because this is a gang member, da-da-da. And now featured artists at halftime for the Super Bowl, one of the biggest sports yeah. venues ever across the globe but yet this is a featured person. So, you know, I I think it, it gets interesting how we Mm -hmm. so quickly forget the past. We so quickly forget, you know, how people evolve over time or don't evolve over time. And again, it's art. I mean, there were a lot of people that I'm thinking to myself, you all are ridiculous if you have not fully enjoyed this halftime show, because these are all incredible artists that have, you know, of course, award winning, but I'm talking about breaking, uh, breaking all kinds of records that Michael Jackson held, etc. And, you know, there's always going to be someone who doesn't care for it because it's art. That's cool. That's fine. But there's been a lot of us who have not been thrilled with many of the Super Bowl halftimes, and we finally get one we really love. Art is in in the eye of the beholder, I guess, but it here is. we are with it yeah
2: I mean I definitely um have problems with Snoot Dog, um particularly around his sexualization of women and objectification of women and I also have significant problems with Eminem who I find to be abhorrent given that he sung about murdering his wife but you know so um yeah. but I do appreciate the guilty pleasure thing because you know this is what's so like this is a total digression but yeah. Chris, yeah. Knoth, Chris Knoth, Chris North, Chris knows from Sex in the City, Mr. Big. Yes. He, yes. He's been accused of um, sexual harassment and sexual violence. And I'm just like, God fucking damn it. No. Right? <laughs> the Mr. Big as problematic as his character is, I'm like, it's Mr. Big right and i'm like god damn it why why mm-hmm. right yeah mm-hmm. so i get it well but see now here's
1: but let's go to another thing that i thought was really interesting about guilty pleasures for others and then we'll move on <laughs> is that there are a lot of people that were fat shaming 50 cent after oh. the super bowl show and i thought it was very interesting because the rationale for fat shaming him was you know, how much of a troll he is in social media and how he's always talking about women's bodies and how he's always degrading, you know, especially women, but women of color, it seems to be primarily. And so I thought that was interesting too, where I, because I posted something on my social media specifically calling out fat shaming and some of the immediate responses to that were Mm -hmm. hold up. We may be wrong with the fat shaming, but he is also wrong with years of trolling women and their bodies and what he perceives as what's wrong with their bodies. So I think there's guilty pleasures going in different ways where, you know, and these are wonderful human beings that I, that obviously they follow me, I follow them and their guilty pleasure is fat shaming 50 cent because, you know, one of the comments was, um, I know two wrongs don't make a right, but it feels good to talk about him right now. And I'm like, see, there you go. Yeah, Yeah, that is interesting, right? Because
2: you're like, He's been hurtful and harmful to so many people. And so essentially they're reflecting that back at him to say what happened to now. I don't know how it feels for him to, he probably doesn't care. Maybe he does, but if he does, then maybe that feeling is an educational feeling, but you're right, two wrongs. Mm -hmm don't make a right. So how do you respond? I feel like we've just like gone off the rails here in terms of our discussion. So <laughs> yeah, that's,
1: that's cool. I mean, that's what happens when you have so much going on with uh, the winter Olympics and yeah. uh, the, uh, the Super Bowl halftime show, which a lot of people have been uh, pegging as mm-hmm. um, a concert where, you know, some football might just break out there. Right. Like no one really, <laughs> a lot of folks really didn't care as much about the football right. as they did about sure. the performers. So yes, sure. Absolutely all right Lisa so do we have a hell yeah and a hell no before we wrap up oh gosh I don't think so much
2: yeah we've talked about so much I'm like what what can there's got to be right because you know it's the world so um it's the world
1: exactly
2: (laughs) I feel like there's always a hell yeah and a hell no okay hell yeah
1: hell no well, I will say for for my hell yeah, I'll just throw it in there that I hope uh, the gentleman does get to uh, purchase the Denver Broncos. Lisa, maybe you'll get uh, your, your season tickets back if you see some changes oh,
0: yeah,
1: um, a- after. But um, that I know that's like a, a far stretch um, if he does uh, actually buy the Denver Broncos. But I'm pulling for that first Black owner, whoever it is, I'm pulling for them to not only own a... Uh, own the actual team, but make some very sweeping changes to be an example that it can be done um, mm-hmm. to the other to the other team. So that's that's my hell yeah. I'm rooting for him and and other uh, future uh, owners, of course. So.
2: Okay, okay. Then my hell nah. I think will be. I listened to or read an article in the Atlantic about sexual harassment and HR. And Shauna and I have often said that uh, HR is the place that diversity, equity, and inclusion go to die because it is the wrong place to put diversity and inclusion. And this article was um, an investigative journalist article related to sexual harassment in HR. And essentially the long and short of it was that it's the wrong place and it's problematic because ultimately Mm -hmm. all of the trainings that we go through and all of the awareness is largely just to cover the employer's ass, right? So it's not Mm -hmm. really about supporting survivors so I guess my broad macro level hell no <laughs> is don't put NEI or sexual harassment in human resources. <laughs> it, oh please not, don't. That's not the place to do it if you're really committed to organizational change.
1: Absolutely. And you definitely would not put it there if you are really committed to obliterating invisible labor by putting more DEI issues on top of HR professionals, especially HR professionals who happen to be underrepresented minorities. So that's all I have to say about that. I agree.
2: I agree. Unfazed,
1: a podcast produced
2: by Live Feisty Media and supported by the Outspoken Women in Triathlon Summit.
1: Edited and produced by the fabulous Lindsay Glassford
2: email us at info at unfazedpodcast.com and find us on social at try to defy at dr gold speaks or at outspoken women in try
1: i'm lisa i'm shauna thanks for listening stay unfazed folks see you next time
3: Whether you run, ride, hike, or swim, you understand what it means to push harder, reach farther, and go the extra mile. This relentless drive runs in your blood. That's why Inside Tracker provides you with a personalized plan to build endurance, boost energy, and optimize your health for the long haul. Created by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometrics, Inside Tracker analyzes your blood, DNA, and fitness tracking data to identify where you're optimized and where you're not. You'll get a daily action plan with personalized guidance on the right exercise, nutrition, and supplementation for your body. And when you connect Inside Tracker with your Fitbit or Garmin, you'll also unlock real time recovery pro tips after you complete your workout. It's like having your own personal trainer and nutritionist in your pocket. For a limited time, you can get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com forward slash feisty and use the code FEISTY for 20% off. That's insidetracker.com forward slash feisty.